Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land on which the Sin HQ and studios stand, the Wawandri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Hello and welcome to episode one of It's Not A Phase Mum here on Sin. I'm your host, Tavy, and this is a show where each week I will dive into different genres of music and sub-communities of the alternative. I'm going to be focusing on all things emo, goth, punk, hardcore, and the community controversies and cultural shifts that these things have influenced in the real world. Uh, stick around because today is episode one and the first episode of a three-part series all about a conspiracy theory that I have that My Chemical Romance will be releasing brand new music towards the end of next month, towards the end of May 2023. If you are listening live, I will be on the air every single Friday from 9 until 10 p.m. Uh, but otherwise, you can also listen along online through my podcasting. If you go to at It's Not A Face Sin on Twitter or Instagram, you'll be able to follow along the socials. And if you click the link in the bio, you'll be able to find cool playlists and podcasted episodes readily available at your fingertips. Uh, go chuck a follow. Keep us in the loop. <laughs> now, today's show is very exciting. Show number one, like I said, where we're going to be starting my conspiracy theory as to why I believe that My Chemical Romance will be releasing brand new music towards the end of next month. But the reason that this is split into three parts is because there is a lot of details regarding this theory that I hold. So today we're going to be focusing mostly on the formation of the band and what they stand for and who they are and providing a little bit of context for those who are not as well versed in this band as I am. Very important to note now that there are definitely points that I will miss and details that I'll skip over. I can talk about this topic for hours. Literally, my poor housemate who has heard every single thing that I have ever had to say. Um, this is very condensed because I'm on a time limit and I don't want to turn this into a whole season long thing. These are just the very important points to back up my theory as to why I'm so certain that they will be releasing brand new music soon. So stick around today. We're going to be talking mostly about the formation of this band. Now, if we are going to be covering the formation of My Chemical Romance, there is an awful lot of ground that we do have to cover. Um, like I said, there are definitely going to be points that I'm going to miss because it's not relevant to the theory that I'm trying to create. And this is a very condensed version. However, I do have to give a little bit of a content warning. We are going to be talking about some very heavy topics, particularly in this section right here. We're going to be talking about death, loss and terrorism. So... There is a content warning. If you need to flick away, that is perfectly fine. But if you're here in Australia, we do have some phenomenal helplines that can help you. We have Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. We have Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. And we have Lifeline on 13 11 14. So keep that in mind moving forward. This is going to be a little bit of a heavy subject, but 
My Chemical Romance, the very beginnings, we need to talk about our dear friend Gerard Way. Gerard Way is the front person and lead singer for My Chemical Romance, and they were kind of the ones who formed the band. They were always a very creative kid. They were both very into music and visual arts. Um, it's also very important to note that they are a huge horror fan. They're a huge fan of Iron Maiden and also the Misfits, which the Misfits kind of comes with the territory of being brought up in New Jersey like they were. And Gerard at this point was 24 years old and they were an artist. They had recently graduated from university where they studied fine arts and they were at a point where they had been freelancing and interning at a lot of animation companies and comic book distributors as just a kind of copy person. And it wasn't extremely fulfilling work and they weren't really happy in what they were doing. And this all culminated in one day where they were on a train from New Jersey to New York to have a meeting with some executives at an animation company. And it just so happened that that was September 11th, 2001. And they unfortunately witnessed um, the towers fall in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And that was obviously something that was extremely triggering, very monumental in their life. And they went home and reconsidered a lot of things and decided that they weren't happy and kind of wanted to do something more meaningful. So they got out the phone book, made a couple of calls and wrote the song Skylines and Turnstiles, which is directly about the 9-11 terrorist attacks. The people who Gerard was calling up were a lot of mutual friends, friends of friends, things like that. But eventually on board, they got to the band, their brother, Mikey Way, and guitarist Ray Toro. Also important to note at this point that um, they did have a drummer that was on board. My Chemical Romance throughout the whole course of their career have had a lot of irrelevant drummers. I don't feel like talking about any of them because they are all simply irrelevant to the story. But Mike M started um, sitting down, writing a lot of songs together, and they started practicing at a rehearsal space in New Jersey where they met the band Pensy Prep. The front man of Pensy Prep at that time was Frank Iero, and he was an absolute fangirl for Mike M. He thought that they were so sick. Um, he's spoken about how he used to drive to gigs with his band Pensy Prep, and they would listen to the My Chemical Romance um, demo tracks, and that would pump them up to play their show. And it was an absolute dream come true when eventually the band asked Frank if he would like to be the second guitarist in the band. So they had a bit more of a fuller live production and... He immediately said yes. My Chemical Romance were very quick to release their first album. Uh, it came out on July 23rd, 2002, just under a year after the band had officially formed, and it came out on Eyeball Records. The album is officially titled I Bought You My Bullets, You Bought Me Your Love, um, but it is often referred to as just bullets within the fan base. If I talk about bullets, that's what I'm talking about, their first album. And the important things to note about this is that it's very much a concept album. Uh, it involves a Bonnie and Clyde-esque type characters who eventually get gunned down in the desert. Um, it has vampires. It has a lot of horror movie tropes. It's really cool. Um, the first song actually released as a single from this album is Vampires Will Never Hurt You. 
Uh, very important that we put a pin in this, that we note this. This will come back later. Part of my conspiracy theory. Um, it's important to note that this song is roughly five and a half minutes long, but the band often chalks it up to being six minutes long. I promise this will all become relevant very soon. Um, but there was a couple of singles released. Not all of them did very well because it was released on an indie label. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot backing them, but they were playing a lot of live shows and making a bit of a ruffle in the local scene. Um, Like I said, though, Vampires Will Never Hurt You, the first single released in May of 2002. We also got two more singles. We got Honey, This Mirror Isn't Big Enough for The Two of Us, released in December of 2003, and Head First for Halos, released in April of 2004. Another theme that we do really need to note on this album, though, is the nature of vampires. Um because they are kind of referred to both as the living dead um, in the general sense, but also as people who will exploit others and seek to corrupt people. Very important note there. But in conclusion for this bit, the point that I'm really trying to hammer home is that this band has always had something to say. They've always been very concept heavy and they've always been quite a theatrical band. Now, we've just covered um, their first album, Bullets, and we're about to jump into Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, their second album. Now, the thing to know about My Chemical Romance is that between these two albums, they were an extremely busy band. They were playing every gig that they could get. They were doing all the interviews that they could. They were getting their name out there, and it worked out really well in their favour. For this album, they had signed to a major record label, which meant that they had more money to play with and more exciting um, production possibilities. <laughs> um, like I said, Bullets came out in 2002 and Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge was released on June the 8th, 2004. And it is also very concept heavy, the same way that Bullets is. And it's almost a continuation of the story from Bullets. In a 2010 interview with Alternative Press, Gerard described the album as the story of a man and a woman who are separated by death in a gunfight and he goes to hell only to realise that by the devil telling him that she's still alive, the devil says that he can be with her again if he brings the devil the souls of a thousand evil men and the man agrees to do it and so the devil hands him a gun. That was the idea behind the concept. The record ended up being much more about loss and real life than anything so I would say it's a good split. I'm not going to delve into this album. I could. This album is my favourite My Chemical Romance album and it's also just a really funny concept because it does have this loose concept but the band have contradicted themselves in so many interviews regarding what happens to these lovers and the fans go crazy um, and have theorised all these crazy things that just kind of don't make sense. It's so funny. It's such a mess but We're not going to get into that today. What we are going to get into is that it's important to note that there were four singles from this album. Um, The first one to come out was I'm Not Okay, I Promise. Uh, The second was Thank You for the Venom. Third was Helena. And the fourth one was The Ghosts of You. Now, being on a bigger record label now, they actually got to make proper production um, film clips for their songs. There were a couple of film clips for some of the singles from Bullets, but nothing to the scale of what we got for Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. So I'm Not Okay has a film clip. It's insanely good. Helena has a film clip. It's insanely good. The Ghosts of You has a film clip that is insanely good, and I'm bringing this up because this will feed into my theory eventually. (laughs) The Ghost of You is a very anti-war type sentiment. Um, It's set 
you know, looking like a 1940s World War II-esque scene where they're all going to go to war. And it's important to note that Mikey, the bass player, does canonically die in the film clip. I promise this will come in relevance later. <laughs> um, it is also important to note, though, that since they kind of had this money and they had this budget and this production, um, in the Helena film clip, it's set at a funeral and they stole the suits that they wore in that film clip and started incorporating it into their live shows. With more money and more production budget, um, they got to play with their looks a bit more. They experimented with the suits. They wore lots of red eye makeup. Um, at one stage, um, Frank had these X's on his eyes and Gerard had this bandit raccoon painted on kind of mask over his eyes. It's a scene. It's a time. It's really, really good. But that's pretty much all the points that we have to make for Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Uh, moving on to the Black Parade, the time between this album as well is another two years. They've been quite consistent putting out an album every two years at this point. And yeah, on October the 20th, 2006, Welcome to the Black Parade came out. And this was a cultural shift. Within this time, by the way, the band has continued touring, interviewing. They worked so hard to get their name out there and it paid off so well when the Black Parade eventually did release. Before I get into this, though, I do have another important thing to note. Gerard became obsessed with Joan of Arc around this time. He often talked about um, shaving off their hair and um, to be like her because that's apparently something that Joan of Arc did. Um, they were also having nightmares about um, dying in a similar way to what she did, which I believe is quite traumatic. I don't really know that much about Joan of Arc, but I promise this will come up later on in my theory. But the Black Parade, what you need to know is that it is another concept album. However, this one's more often referred to as a rock opera. It centres around a character who is dying of cancer. They're known as the patient and there are so many different ways to interpret this album. Uh, but my favourite way to do it is um, following a way that's explained by a YouTuber named Wendigoon. Highly recommend you check out their channel. Highly recommend you watch their video on the Black Parade. But pretty much what they talk about is they go through track by track and talk about how some of the songs are sung by the patient who is coming to terms with their death and some of the songs are sung by Death itself, who is the leader of a marching band who is um, taking them on their journey to die, essentially. Very deep, very concept heavy. There is a lot going on here, I know. <laughs> the singles that we get are Welcome to the Black Parade, released in September 2006. Uh, Famous Last Words, released in January 2007. I Don't Love You, released in April of 2007. And Teenagers, released in July of 2007. Now, we need to talk about the in-between stage between the Black Parade and their eventual next album because we waited four years for a brand new My Chemical Romance album and that's just because of the backlash of the Black Parade. Um, they marketed themselves so well. They played so well into being the Black Parade themselves, the band, um, that they garnered so much media attention and not all of it was good. They toured that album so, so, so ferociously. Um, it was very concept heavy. They played roughly like 130 shows worldwide um, over the span of a year to two years-ish where they played as the band. They would come out every single night in these marching band jackets 
and play the same songs again and again. And that had a bit of a toll on a lot of the band members because at the same time they were garnering all this media attention and there was a lot of slander towards the word emo and they were being called things that they never intended to be in the first place and it took a toll. So the band took a while to create new music and in the meantime started doing other things. Um, Frank Iero, um, the guitar player, he started doing this really cool project called Leathermouth where he pretty much screamed into a microphone. Um, Ray Toro, the other guitarist, got really into mixing and producing and he did a lot of really cool things there. Mikey was just kind of hanging out. He was playing with other bands and touring um, with other bands as just kind of a bit of a replacement member. He was just kind of hanging out doing his thing. And Gerard got really back into comic books. I shouldn't say back into comic books. He did continue to create comic books throughout the entire duration of the story that I have detailed thus far. Um, But he got into it a lot more hardcore and it was really cool for him and really fun. And in 2009, um, there were actually whispers that Gerard was in the works to create a comic book called Danger Days, the fabulous... Oh, sorry, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, um, that he was actually planning to co-write with Sean Simon, who was a member of Pensy Prep. If you remember Frank Iero's first band <laughs> that we talked about at the very, very beginning. Um, really cool concept, right? Such a cool concept, in fact, that that's what the next album actually ended up being. We're going to circle back a little bit before we talk about this, though. We do now know that there was an album that the band started writing and creating, and they wanted it to be fun. They were sick of this dreary emo image that they had. They were also like 30 years old. They were getting married. They were starting their families. They were just growing up, which they're allowed to do. And they wanted to play something more fun, something that reminded them of um, the more punk and upbeat bands that they listened to in their youth. And so they started writing and they got this album and they said that it was a really good album, but it didn't really have a concept and it didn't really fit the band creatively. And so they decided to scrap it, rework it. And that's why they kind of took the Danger Days comic book theme and applied it to an album and it was really cool and the band was so happy. Um, The album artwork is actually a photo that Frank took because Frank is quite a talented photographer. Gerard went crazy in um, making all of these outfits and things like that um, for these characters. We got a couple of music videos that tell a tale of the true lives of the fabulous killjoys and we've been <laughs> we've been given an album that is very upbeat and very happy and yeah that came out on the 22nd of November 2010 now i cannot believe that i'm saying this it's very important to note that that is the day of john f kennedy's assassination i promise there is a point to be made about this soon On this point as well, um, while I was talking about the characters that Gerard had created surrounding the concept of Danger Days, they all had cool names. We had Party Poison, we have Jetstar, we have Fun Ghoul, and we have Cobra Kid. Again, I cannot believe I have to make this point. If we take the first letters of all of these, we get PJFK. President John F. Kennedy, I promise you this will go somewhere eventually. 
I have my tinfoil hat on. We're in real conspiracy time right now. But um, if we're going to talk about the album storyline, basically it takes place in a post-apocalyptic um, 2019 California. California 2019 will also become relevant. Stay with me here. Um, the Killjoys are a rebellious outsider group who battle against an evil corporation. Evil corporation as well. Put a pin in it. Um, eventually in 2013, Gerard um, published a comic book regarding this. But it's very important to note as well, though, that this was such a collaborative effort. Like I said, they got Sean Simon on to do um, the comic book. Um, there's a character as well that is like a radio announcer voice whose name is DJ Dr. Death Defying. That's voiced by Steve Montano, who is part of Mindless Self-Indulgence, who is the band that Gerard's wife is in. Um, Such a collaborative process. It's so clear that the band just really wanted to try something new and shed the image that they already had. What's more punk than turning around and saying, actually, no. That's exactly what they did. I think it's really cool. Now, we got um, a couple of singles from this album. We have Na Na Na, in brackets, Na Na Na, Na 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 Na, released in September 2010. The Only Hope For Me Is You, released in October 2010. Sing, released in November of 2010. Planetary Go, released in March of 2011. Bulletproof Heart, released in June of 2011. And The Kids From Yesterday, released in 2012. The only other real points that I have to make about this album is on the same day that this album was released, we also got um, this really fun, very short, six-minute, three-song-long EP, um, which is kind of by My Chemical Romance, but kind of not. It's called Mad Gear and the Missile Kid, and the concept behind that is that this is a band, this is the music that the fabulous Killjoys would be listening to as they're driving around the desert doing their tasks. It's really fun. It's a really cool concept. We will make a point about this eventually. We're also going to make a point about the final song on the album, which his name is Vampire Money, which is a whole song about why they didn't want to do a song for Twilight. Pretty much around this time, Twilight was just coming out and it was a bit of a cultural phenomenon. Stephanie Meyer, the woman who wrote Twilight, actually has mentioned a couple of times in passing in interviews how she based a lot of the themes and a lot of the angst in particular um, of the characters in Twilight around My Chemical Romance. And so it made sense that when they were adapting a film, they would approach My Chemical Romance to write a song. And My Chemical Romance said no, because this didn't align with what they wanted their image to be. And it didn't align with what their image of vampires to be. And Twilight offered them a lot more money. And My Chemical Romance said no. And Twilight offered them even more money. And My Chemical Romance said no. And instead, they released Vampire Money as the final single on... sorry, not a single, I should say, the final song on the album. And it's just this whole song about selling out to a big corporation and how dumb that is pretty much. 
I have so much more content. I've had to cut a whole segment out of this show because I've simply, unfortunately, run out of time tonight. So make sure you tune in again next Friday night where I will be live from 9 until 10 on the Sin Waves. Uh, if you have missed today's show, want to catch up, or if you want to catch next week's show, um, you can check out my socials at It's Not A Phase Sin on Instagram and on Twitter. That's Sin spelt S Y N. It's Not A Phase Sin. If you go to the link in the bio, you'll be able to find a link to um, all of the playlists of all the episodes that I put out, as well as the podcasted episodes, as well as probably a little bit extra content in there as well. Um, but make sure that you do tune in because this is, like I said, going to be a bit of a long series. I feel like I have said nothing tonight. The knowledge I have on this band, the things that I could have said tonight, I feel like I could have said so much and I really have only hit the important notes that I had to hit to explain my conspiracy theory as to why I'm so sure that they will be releasing new music towards the end of next month. Now, the big point that I did want to make today is that um, this band has always been very conceptual. They have been very theatrical and they have always really had something to say and they have always been very strong to their guns, very strong to what they wanted to say pretty much. So I hope that I've got that point across. Like I said, make sure you tune in again next week. And You've been listening to It's Not A Phase Mum here on Sin. If what you just heard's raised any issues for you, here are some people you can call right now to talk to. Lifeline, 13 11 14. The Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. Or Beyond Blue at 1300 22 46 36.